0: We take up this afternoon the studies and I'll be brief. I realize we've begun late and uh, so I'll be brief. I won't cover the entire lecture that I had intended, but we are talking about, we are going through, it's been a little while, so I just want to refresh us to the fact that we are dealing with the kingdom of God, its consistency. In the, the revelation of our God, that it is a consistent revelation. God didn't have plan A and plan B, and we named them Old Testament, New Testament. There is one plan, there is one kingdom, there is one God building one church throughout the ages. And, uh, they, we have been in recently, this is the second part of lecture number seven, uh, in which we've taken up the thousand years between Abraham and the Babylonian exile. In that period of time, we cover, or rather covering that period of time, we come to, of course, that section called Abraham, page 77 in your book. uh That section called uh, Abraham through the patriarchs, and uh, that is uh, from Abraham to the Babylonian exile, which uh, Goldsworthy points out to us as a period of over a thousand years. In that first paragraph he says, as Christians we recognize that Israel's history, Israel's history is not haphazard. Nor is it just a series of random incidents, But as in all of history, it is governed by the purpose of God. The unique feature of Israel's history was that its purpose involved both revelation of salvation and the way of salvation. Since God is Lord, and since salvation has reference to the bringing of sinners into the kingdom of God, that same kingdom will be reflected in the history, which is salvation history. All he's doing is expressing in yet another way. He has already done it in several ways. He's expressing in yet another way the consistency that this Bible is a revelation of the history of redemption the bible is a revelation of the history of redemption that's all that he say and as i say it begins and it takes up with uh abraham uh and the patriarchs and uh on about in the middle of page 68 he points out that god in fact promises abraham That his descendants would be, and here's your three characteristics in the kingdom. God's people. Number one, they'll be God's people. Number two, they'll be in God's place under God's rule. So there's the people, the place, and the rule. We've seen this consistently as being features of the kingdom of God as he unfolds it. And then he says, and all of Abraham's stories must be seen in this life. As a child growing up in Southern Baptist churches, and I might add very good Southern Baptist churches in, in the sense that Southern Baptists were good. Uh, uh, I was taught so many of these stories in the Old Testament. I mean, as children, we were taught, you know, Abraham takes Isaac up to sacrifice him. You know, all these different stories of all these patriarchs of the Old Testament. I was taught all these stories, and they were wonderful stories, and children love stories, don't they? And especially if they're Bible stories, they're the best stories in the world. But but the problem was, I was just taught all of these stories in the same way that in my public school we had little story books, we had reading books and these were just little stories. And that's how I was taught it. I, they were just stories. They were just different stories. Nobody ever made for me the connection. I never understood or was even uh, allowed to be told that all of these stories <laughs> the connection for them is that they are an unfolding revelation of God's salvation. I, I, somehow that was never brought in it, and I, I was never taught that, and I didn't understand that. And that's one of the main purposes for our doing this study. So in Abraham and the patriarchs, we see these three features. Then, page 70, uh well he, well, at the top of page 7 he, he's talking about the patriarchs he said the rest of the patriarchal story takes us with Joseph and his brothers to Egypt where the stage will be set for the next chapter in the history of redemption. The very fact that the descendants of Abraham are forced to go to Egypt for their welfare is also to be seen in the light of covenant promises. Again we've said this before but that that Trip down into Egypt and so forth. That's not an interruption of God's plans. That's in God's plan for his history of, for his unfolding of his redemption. Then that moves us up to Moses and Exodus. Uh, he quotes Exodus 1 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Then he says, Suddenly the once favored sons of Israel are no longer welcome guests in the fertile Nile Delta. Sojourn becomes captivity and privilege becomes enslavement. The covenant promises are removed one stage further for the people not only live away from the promised land, they're now prisoners of a cruel monarch. Again, The experience of the recipients of the promises seem to contradict the promises. The experience of the recipients of the promises seem to contradict the promises. But we know that isn't so, don't we? Down at the bottom he says at this stage we can only observe that God must have a reason for creating this tension. To what purposes are the promises channeled through this extraordinary Egyptian experience? Well, the book of Exodus will show us the answer to that question. In that book and in that history, we're going to see a large amount of the typology unfolding this redemption. That That context, that sets the context for a great deal of what we now know as typology, which is part of the unfolding of the history of redemption. Down toward the bottom he says, So Israel is in bondage through no obvious fault of her own in Egypt, far from Canaan. Now God acts on the basis of the covenant to release the children of Jacob. But Pharaoh's a cruel tyrant, refuses to let the people go. God, through his servant Moses, works a series of signs and wonders to make Pharaoh release Israel. Each plague inflicted as a demonstration of the superior might of Jehovah over Egypt and its gods. The final plague is associated with a redemptive picture that Israel was never to forget. As God pronounces death upon all the firstborn in Egypt, a way of escape is provided for believing Israelites. The sacrifice of a lamb and the sprinkling of its blood on the doorpost would cause the angel of death to pass over each household that complied. The Passover redemption of the Israelite firstborn is coupled with the escape from Egypt so that the redemptive picture is extended to include all Israel. The effect of this tenth plague on Pharaoh is to cause him finally to let the people go up to this point his heart's hardened and even now he has second thoughts to pursue the fugitives to the Red Sea. The way out of Egypt would naturally be by the well trodden way from the delta through the coastal strip to Canaan but God does not lead them that way but through the wilderness to the shores of the sea this is like running into a blind alley with walls on all sides but God's purposes purpose God's purpose is still to be seen. He has already overcome the barrier of Pharaoh's heart heart and now he will overcome the barrier of the sea. It will not be by following the easy trade route but by the strong hand of God that Israel will come out of Egypt. Redemption is a miracle that only God can perform. And here it is. There it is. There's your typology. There's your lesson. There's your reasoning. And of course there's more. Of course there's more. But here principally focusing on this matter of the story of redemption, the history of redemption, the unfolding of that story and the unfolding of that redemption. Here it is. God has led them in this way which would appear certainly to a dispensationalist to be a big mess. They, they're in a mess. God, this is all, all out of hand. God didn't, God didn't want any of this. This is all because of Israel's sin. And of course, they were being punished for their sin. And a lot of, humanly speaking, as to cause, causality, uh, it was their sin. But the point is, in the purposes of God, it was all intent that it may unfold his redemption and here is one of the things that it unfolds that redemption is a miracle that only God can perform and thus they are led in that way even the magicians of Egypt have recognized the finger of God at work Exodus 8:19 so then he says now we can answer now we can answer the question we posed before Why has God not fulfilled his promises? Israel was brought to Egypt and the patriarchs never possessed the land because God intended to reveal the way into his kingdom. It is a way involving a miraculous redemption from a bondage that holds us and keeps us out of the kingdom. Only a miracle of God can bring us back to the kingdom. The exodus will remain now the key model for the understanding of redemption in the life of Israel. And the people of God will be made to recall it as the basis of their response to God who saves. So this whole period this whole period in this thousand year seg- uh, thousand year span that we're looking at, in this particular segment, this segment referred to as Moses, uh, Moses and the Exodus is what uh, Goldsworthy refers to it as. This particular seg- segment is very specifically Typological. And it unfolds in the life of Israel to, by that external life and the externals of all of this, God is demonstrating what is actually spiritual truth, divine truth regarding redemption. And do we not find it in the New Testament, referring back to this? And we preaching, so much preaching, uh, uses this, uses this history, these events as a, a place for instructing sinners concerning and instructing saints concerning salvation. The history of redemption. This segment, Moses in the Exodus, critical part of demonstrating the ongoing development of the redemption that God will fulfill when? He will absolutely bring it all to fruition and fulfill it in Christ. In Christ. But here, the early days of that redemption and of that story of redemption. We'll stop there. Uh, The lecture goes much further. But for sake of time today, we'll stop right there. If there are any questions or comments about Abraham and that period of the history and then Moses and the Exodus. All of it, as I say, I'm not trying to be profound here. I'm not trying to to give you any profundity. All we're doing here is demonstrating how that the Old Testament unfolds the story of redemption. It's very unfortunate that the bulk of Christendom today has banished all of that as though it had no place. And uh, we're supposed to believe that God only ever started working all this out when, oops, they crucified Christ. Oop, that wasn't supposed to go that way. So now what are we going to do? No. Now all of this was unfolded in the purposes of God to the intent of of revealing his redemption. Right? All right. Let's close in prayer.